Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. This is Mike, Uh, Peter is out this week on vacation, but we have an awesome guest with us from Beyond Solitaire, both the amazing podcast and the YouTube channel, we have Liz Davidson. Hey, it's fun to be back on here. I always love talking to you, Liz, even if we don't have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) But we're bringing Liz on for, I think we've done at least one podcast episode sort of related to this. We're going to talk about some of our favorite solo war games, and maybe at the end uh, get into a bit of a a brief discussion on what is a war game. We had a whole episode on that, but maybe our opinions have changed, or we can just reiterate them. And also, uh, some of our uh, Discord members were asking me uh, what Liz and I thought about why there aren't more cooperative war games as opposed to solo war games. We can talk about that as well. Ooh, that's a good question. I thought so too. And I'm not sure I have a great answer, but we'll see what we come up with. <laughs> uh, but first, Liz, how have uh, things been going uh, in, in g- gaming and not gaming? Okay, so to be totally honest, I've not been gaming very much. Uh, so if you listen to my channel, you know, um, I had ulcers recently. So basically I was, it, it manifested as back pain. So I was unable to like lean over and enjoy playing games at my table. So I thought I just had a back injury for like months, which is, has been really rough on, on the gaming life. So um, on my list today is like super nothing new. And in fact, I have all these war games that I really want to play. So now I'm starting to feel better. Like I'm kind of starting to eye my game shelf. Um, so I'm expecting excitement ahead now that I'm starting to be more in recovery and less in what the heck is wrong with me mode. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Very similar situation. Uh, well, n- not with the back pain slash uh, <laughs> more more serious injury, uh, but I-, I have like for example, I have uh, two games that Dan Versen games sent to me that I haven't tried yet. Uh, one of them is uh, one of the War of the Worlds uh, ones. Is that what it's called? Where like you're defending against tripods, Martian tripods? Ooh, yeah. yeah, that would be it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to play that, but I- I've been sitting on it for months, and I just need to open it up and learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some more games, but I haven't played them yet. So yeah, my, my list might not surprise anybody, but it's always fun just to get on and talk about games. And those of you who haven't heard any of our previous uh, discussions of this, these might be new to you. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm actually hoping later this year to get into some classics. Like I have all these old out-of-print war games that I really want to play. Like I've got B-17 Queen of the Skies, and I've got Ambush. Oh, man. And I've got like Raid on St. Nazaire. Yeah, I, I, oh, wow. I like, I have so many plans. I just need school to end for the year and for my stomach to behave. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you there. (laughs) All right, so uh, we're going to get into our episode. Liz and I are both going to talk about our top five solo war games as of right now. And Liz and I were just talking before the episode, like, what is a war game? You know, (laughs) like I was looking at a definition and they were like, yeah, so it could be a real war or it could be science fiction or fantasy or it could be in the future or in the past. And, you know, it could be skirmish level or uh, operational level or tactical level. I'm like, well, hey, Mike, you could just say that war is conflict and then everything would be a war game. Well, unless, uh, you know, like I- I've been playing uh, Four Northwood, which is a solo trick taking game. And there you're trying to like have friendly debates with rulers. I-, I don't know. That's I guess there's a little bit of conflict there. A war of words. A war of words. There you go. Uh, But before we get into the episode, we do want to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. Uh, If you did not know, we've uh, added in the last several months a uh, bonus to our Patreon. Uh, There are at least two exclusive videos every month. So at this point, I think we're up to 12 or 13 
Uh, these are bonus top 10 lists and ranking videos and just like discussions about things. So yeah, if you uh, support Patreon, you get that amazing stuff. And I uh, just want to thank a few of our amazing uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, this month, I'm thanking Travis Porter, Danny Marrero, Hannah, Nicola Smith, and Tony Miller. Uh, thank you, Travis, Danny, Hannah, Nicola, and Tony, some of the amazing people keeping the channel running. Uh, we really appreciate your support of all the stuff we do. But that uh, is that. Let's get into some war games. So uh, Liz, you're this guest of honor. Do you want to start and uh, tell us what your number five is? Yeah, absolutely. So my number five is at the bottom of the list because I feel like I need to give this game type a nod because they are cool and they are fun, but they're also a huge pain to actually get to the table. And they're a beast to solo unless you have all day. And so I chose Falling Sky from the coin series. Uh, So Falling Sky is, I would say, the most accessible ancient coin game, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to be Julius Caesar or if you want to be a Gallic tribe vying against him and fighting against Roman hegemony in your in your area then uh then this is the game for you i do have some historical nitpicks about this game because it's so very much from caesar's point of view but if you want to play caesar's gallic wars very much from caesar's perspective this is such a cool game to do that with and i really appreciate it yeah and i i've not gotten to play falling skies yet uh, there might be a coin on my list as well but <laughs> um and, and four coins the ones i'm most excited to play in the future are oh man what's it called what's the vietnam one? Oh, fire in the lake fire in the lake yes fire in the lake and then also the upcoming one that was designed by the guy who does three minute board games jared something Ooh. it's 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 on mars it's like the first non-historical at least the first that i'm aware of non-historical uh coin game it oh, looks like really cool so yeah i'm really excited about that one i think they might sell a pre-orders from gmt so i might go order that but yes that that, that one i'm really uh into and hyped for but I'm uh, going to start with, uh, this is one of my favorite war game designers, and he is a friend of both Liz and I, and he had to be on my list, uh, but he, he did only make it to number five this time because uh, I wanted to spread the love among many designers and companies. But this is uh, one of my, I guess my top war game by David Thompson, friend of the show, David Thompson. <laughs> uh, my, my top one for him, I think, because it is changing, uh, I really, really liked Lanzarath Ridge that both Liz and I did coverage of while I was on uh, crowdfunding. Oh, yeah. And that's in the same series as this one. And, that, and th- that might eclipse this one. I just haven't played the final version of the game. I haven't played it as much as this other one. So my top game in the Valiant Defender series from David Thompson from DVG Games as of right now is Castle Inner. I like Pavlov's house. I like Soldiers and Postman's uniform. That one's incredibly tense. But Castle Itter is my favorite right now because it is the quickest to set up. This is absolutely a solo war game that I would recommend to people who are like just getting into solo war games or just want to like try their hand at them. It's incredibly easy to set up because like literally as you take your turn, your units get set out, which I love, <laughs> you know, compared to, for example, Lanzarath Ridge and uh, Soldiers and Postman's Uniform, where you have to set up a whole bunch of tokens to even start the game. This one is just so clean. It also uh, remains as out of all these games, I think the one that has the most variety in the uh, enemy placement because they spawn in very different ways each game, whereas there's a bit more predictability in other ones. And that's, you know, because of historical accuracy. So I understand it. But I still really appreciate how Castle Inter lets things be completely bonkers. <laughs> if, like, you know, the entire German army just happens to be climbing up a mountain face, why not? There they are, and you got to deal with them. So uh, this is a great, tense, uh, tactical, kind of skirmish-level game. Uh, really interesting action economy. Really cool way that the enemies activate. 
uh, incredible tension in this entire series, and Castellar just happens to be my favorite right now. Oh, nice. So there there might be a different value defense game that comes up later in this podcast episode. <laughs> and I, I can guess which one it is. Maybe not. Maybe it's changed. We'll see. <laughs> I, know, I know what used to be your favorite. <laughs> I'm pretty consistent. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> we love that about you, Liz. <laughs> so what's your number four? Uh, so my number four is my other GMT game on the list. Um, actually, okay. So speaking of war game stuff, I've mentioned this is a war game before and had somebody tell me it is not a war game, to which I say, malarkey, sir. Um, But it is Time of Crisis, which is a brutal little area control game that you can play either with other people or with bots. And you are all trying to vie to become emperor of Rome and get the most legacy points. And you're warring across all these provinces and there are barbarian incursions happening everywhere. And, you know, you it's like a deck builder where you're also trying to control area on a map. And I truly love it i did a big tutorial of it this year and i I was like i'll just finally get around to this one i was surprised by how much i absolutely love time of crisis i pretty much throw down any time in it now um because it's so entertaining it does help to have the expansion because having more action cards is better it can get a little old if you're playing with the same set all the time but just the game itself just works in this really smooth nasty way and the bots are surprisingly good plus i also like that they are named after uh after actual historical figures, my favorite of which is naturally Poopy Anus. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that name again, Liz? Poopy Anus. Oh, yes. Him or her. Yes. A classy <laughs> Roman. <laughs> he didn't know his name was funny. <laughs> this is the classiness of the one-stop co-op shop. What do y'all come here to listen to, of course? <laughs> I mean, you know, I always take things from classy to assy. That's right. <laughs> or to gassy in this case, right? <laughs> Oh, man. But yes, uh, this, uh, you know, I, I, you had mentioned this in a previous conversation we had, and I wrote it down, and then I lost that list that I had written down at some point. I'm looking at this. It looks 100% like a war game, and I love uh, deck builders. So why have I not played this yet? It, th- those questions shall haunt me. I, I'm putting this back on my list <laughs> to go back and look at it and try to get a copy of. So cool. Yeah, no, actually, put it on your list immediately, especially if you play both solo and multiplayer games with people. Like, solo, it's good. Uh, multiplayer, it is fantastic mm, awesome awesome all right so that was time of crisis and uh, yeah i'm gonna follow up with my i think only g yeah yeah only gmt on the list and uh, my only coin game on the list and that is my current favorite coin which is also an ancient one so i guess you and i are kindred spirits uh, liz and that is pen dragon now uh full disclosure i've only played three coin games cuba libre uh gandhi and pen dragon I, I was very close to putting gandhi above pen dragon but um I don't know. I, I like that Pendragon feels more like a war game than the other two coin games I've played. And, and from what I gather, than a lot of coin games beside maybe like Falling uh, F- Falling Skies or uh, Fire in the Lake. I know those are kind of like w- more war focused. But yeah, I love uh, the, the of course, huge asymmetry between the, the Saxons and, you know, the invading groups and the uh, Romani <laughs> not Romani, the uh, the British Romo Grecan. Nah, that's not what they're called. What are yeah, they called? Like the, the Rome sympathetic Britons, basically. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I love the asymmetry. I, I like that this one uh, can, with very minor fiddling, be played as a full co op because, um, especially in some of the scenarios, basically the the barbarians are only working together, and the uh, the Britons and the Romans are only working together. So, like that, that's a very like big thing. But even for solo. I love the bots for this one. 
Um, I, I would like to see a Gandhi and, uh, you know, updated Fire in the Lake style deck of bots. I do like that better. And they haven't done it for Pendragon yet. But I, I think it's a really solid game. Uh, it is a lot. <laughs> Liz was saying uh, Falling Skies is more accessible. I would totally agree. This one is not that accessible. Uh, like just resolving the Roman movement with the roads is a nightmare, <laughs> to put it <laughs> gently. And like running all the bots could be a nightmare. But for my taste, I love... Uh, big different factions. And I, for whatever reason, I enjoy going through flowcharts and seeing what happens and being surprised by the actions that are taken. That's just my weird brain. <laughs> so, so this one is a hit for me. Absolutely. I do like a good chunky coin game. I will say right now, my list is skewing a little lighter because I've just been busy. I've been having a really active year um, or a year where I'm trying to cram games in wherever I can. So I'm currently really feeling the lighter end of things. But Pendragon is absolutely a fabulous game. Um, you know, you can really see Morgan Guillaume-Rati's research in it. And, uh, you know, she did a really good job bringing a lot of things to life, I would say. But yes, it, the complexity of the game is super high. I would yeah. not start here for a coin game. I mean, you can start wherever you want. I do crazy stuff like that all the time. <laughs> but if you want the nicest intro to the series, this is definitely not it. Yeah, and I did start with Cuba Libre, which is commonly considered like the gentlest entry point. It's also my least favorite of the series, but I'm still glad that I got some of the basics down and it definitely did not seem as hard to learn the other ones afterwards, you know? Yeah, you know what's weird is Liberty or Death is actually the first one I ever played. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I lived, but fortunately I had, lived. <laughs> I had a friend to talk me through it though, so it was different, uh, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, I was like my friend and me at game night just kind of hanging out and like figuring out liberty or death. So it wasn't a high stress learning experience, even though the game is maybe not the most accessible coin. So it was fine, but you know, you know yourself and the people you'll play with. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Liz, your number three. Oh yes. My number three. Okay. So this is kind of, it's one standing in for two. Um, I'm going to say Robert Dulesky's Stilica, Last of the Romans. This is published mm. by Holland Spiel. And I just find it delightful. These games are super, Okay, I know that it's a war game and that I'm supposed to be stressed out by the barbarian incursions, <laughs> but there's something about these particular games. So there's still a code last of the Romans and then its predecessor, uh, Wars of Marcus Aurelius. They're both very good. I say Stilica is probably the more developed game, but if you like the Wars of Marcus Aurelius time period, then that one just might bring you more joy. They're just these really weirdly calming games where you have a like you know a hand of cards and you're using the cards to either take actions or do the events on the cards. You know, it's pretty standard hand management and and making choices about what with limited resources but you're trying to beat back multiple different invasions and i love that you will typically try to concentrate on one but even if you successfully subdue someone they don't stay that way there's like loyalty tests where they can come back and decide screw you i am gonna rebel again how <laughs> <laughs> we ride at dawn um and you know there's also like little political elements in the games that just really tickle me so like in silica last of the romans you know your rival at rome is still at home talking smack about you to the emperor and trying to get your head cut off. And you have to manage what he's saying about you in addition to dealing with issues actually in the field. Or like in Wars of Marcus Aurelius, you're in the West, but there are conflicts in other parts of the empire that can draw your attention and resources. And I think that's like a really realistic addition, but it's done in a way that's pretty light and fun without overdoing things mechanically. And I also just think the cards are hilarious. Like, honestly, Wars of Marcus Aurelius is the one that does it for me more on that front, which is why I, it, Silica will never fully replace it. <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they have Maximus from Gladiator as a card, which is 
Clearly, Hilarious. the best ever. <laughs> but also, it's got these. You'll just have a card that says, "Oh, Faustina." But if yes. you know, if you know the history behind the game, basically, at one point, there was a rumor that Marcus Aurelius had died, and his wife Faustina was like, "Crap, I need to figure out what to do. I'm going to find another man." And so she basically starts an affair with someone who could be the next emperor. Now that there's a power vacuum, but it turns out that Marcus Aurelius was not, in fact, dead. He was still alive, and his wife's like, "Oh, whoops." So it causes like a huge kerfluffle, let's put it that way. Um, or like there's a card that like references uh, Alexander the Quack Prophet is what Lucian Savasada wrote about him. He's like a guy who had a talking snake that was probably like a puppet snake of some kind of image <laughs> to use to deliver prophetic messages. And so like the games are very simple mechanically, but if you want to look up who all the cards are about, um, you find like fun little historical surprises. So if you like Roman history, it's just hilarious. No, I I enjoyed uh, Marcus Aurelius quite a lot. That was in my top ten, so it didn't make my top five, but it was up there. And I haven't played Silico yet, but I've heard you say that it's even a better like refinement of the system. So with how much I liked Marcus, maybe that would be even better. I'll have to try that one too at some point. Yeah, these are like big time comfort games for me, which is what this is the mood I'm in for this list. So yes, yes, yes. All right, my number three. Uh, so the rest of my list, somebody might be able to say Pendragon's not a war game. I would say Pasha. But uh, these other three, I could see people like legitimately telling me I, I picked a non-war game. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to validate three, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully. Let's see if you validate me. Uh, number three is Pax Pamir. Is that a war game, Liz? It's at least a historical game. I don't see sure. why you wouldn't call it a war game. I mean, there is area control. I mean, it, it's, it's a, certainly a war of ideologies and, you, and there are battles and, yeah, moving armies around. I don't know. But Pax Pamir, second edition. Uh, this is from, what is it, Whirligig? studios yeah. i guess uh yeah so this is a uh, cole Whirl, one of my favorite uh, designers i think one of liz's as well and uh, ricky royal did the solo mode and this is a great solo mode um i, I won't say it's as good as multiplayer but <laughs> the few times i've gotten to play pax Pamir, and it is very few uh my multiplayer sessions have not necessarily gone that well because i'm like oh guys don't worry okay don't worry about whether you're winning or losing like if things change like don't don't go all in on the russians okay or don't go all in on the the english it might switch on the, fl- uh, the drop of a hat and you know that they uh listen to me with varying levels of success and then get mad at the game and don't want to play anymore <laughs> which no <laughs> i guess i'm not making the uh the the advice clear enough or i'm just not picking the right people to play it but all that being said for solo uh it's a little bit of a different game it's not you know quite as exciting as a multiplayer but i still love it you've got this mix of sort of like uh tableau building like card capturing but then you're like actually attacking the cards with spies and like leveraging yes. them for money and stuff then you've got this really interesting like board play of building roads and moving armies and trying to take over tribes. But um, at the same time, like I said, like the army you might think is totally your friends might not be your friends five seconds later, or everyone might just get cleared from the board. And you're trying to uh, purchase cards and these events that have like far ranging uh, implications and kind of actually a lot like Pendragon. I like how varied the game can feel because, you know, just this very, uh, this, this deck of very unique cards coming out in different orders like the, the combos you have and the powers you have access to and the uh, people you ally with and the state of the board and the events that affect your play. It, it's just a very yummy game that like is consistently interesting. Every time I play it out for solo, which is not as often as I would like it to be, I'm like, God, this game is good. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like why, why have I not played it until now? Like, why, why have I waited three months to play this again? But yeah, Pax Premier Second Edition is uh, fabulous. That's my number three. Absolutely. Yeah, the only reason it's not on my list is because I was being a little bit more of a purist, I think. Sure, sure, sure. But, but honestly, I would count Pax Premier. It's such a good game. What a good game. Both solo and multiplayer. It's 
you could pry it out of my cold dead hands. All right, so here's my value defense. I'm still Pavlov's house lover. I completely get why you like Castle Eater, but for me, Pavlov's house, also by David Thompson, also in the value defense series, is it. And the reason I like it actually is I love the operational part. So I know that. So Pavlov's house is different from the other value defense games because it has like this tripartite board where. For part of your turn, you are the the army that's trying to like get supplies to the guys who are stuck in Pavlov's house, and so you draw cards and you pick from you know options of like what resources you want to put your efforts into. Then you have the German turn, and then you have the Pavlov's house turn. So it's a game that's got the same kind of value defense structure as something like Castle Itter, but it's got other stuff on it. But I just really really like that operational select from among the cards you know fog of war aspect of it and that's something that i just find really charming um i'm probably also just especially attached to pavlov's house because it was my first david thompson and it was Mm. as i was really starting to get into war games and so it was sort of a it came into my gaming life at a pivotal time so i may be biased in my particular love for pavlov's house but i really like it i mean i think that's entirely fair and yeah the operational part I was actually like it's kind of the opposite for me. Like I I didn't like that as much, but I did like the whole like having to get resources to the house. Yes, I, I sort of think um, for me that same sort of supply management worked better in Soldiers and Postman's uniform. It, it's a very different system, but like trying to get the guns to the correct side of the house, trying to get the ammo so you can use suppressing fire to like the right area, trying to have grenades in the right stairwell as you get massacred because i gave it so hard <laughs> um yeah I, I found that I, I enjoyed that in a similar way to what you're saying for uh pavlo's house either way great series like buy any of the uh the three that are currently available is it three yeah that's right isn't it <laughs> uh yeah there's three currently available and then lanzareth is coming oh which would be the yeah fourth. baby so i think oh i might gosh. like lanzareth best of all in the end yeah see i might too like that that might become my number one and it's interesting i mean pavlo's house is very different but i think lanzareth changes the overall mechanics of the games the most and i really appreciated like the new stuff david was doing with that yeah it's it, it has that same like good flavor of a valiant defense game but there's other things added to the mix that i thought were really nice like both because they were refreshing compared to previous games of the series and because i think there were things that worked better so i'm really excited to get a full copy of that in my hands so i can uh i can experiment to the fullest with it and then yes. give it like a real review absolutely same for me but my number two um another one <laughs> that maybe some people would say is this a war game mike and to them i say Maybe. Because <laughs> um, this is Dawn of the Zed's third edition. That's and, totally a war game. Well, it's and about here's the thing. Like, it's literally in a series that is made up of tons of very famous war games, right? It's uh, Exactly. States of Siege. Yeah, States of Siege, right? Like Ottoman Sunset or uh, what are the other ones I've played? Uh, Zulu on the Rampart. Like, d- the fact that there's zombies instead of soldiers, if everything else about the game is the same, it shouldn't like, make it suddenly not a war game, right? I agree. And also, I would actually argue it might be the best States of Siege game. Well, I, I definitely think it is. I've only played I really three like of them. It. But yes, I, I love this game. Um, it has, you know, really interesting. It, it's a, you know, a defense game, like zombies coming down these tracks. You can pretend they're not zombies if that would bother you theme-wise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the coolest thing about the game is the the interplay of kind of the more defense, like kind of unit management side of things, but then tying that into the heroes and the events because, yeah, talk, talk about variety game to game, which is something I love for games in general and war games included, but like the the total different way you have to play when you have a different set of heroes is great in this game. Like when you have 
a ninja riding a horse like I did in my last uh, playthrough. <laughs> and you're just massacring zombies left and right, charging in with, you know, horse stealth. I don't really know. Um, but it works. It's like Elden Ring or something. You're just charging and sweeping left and right. Um that's a very different game than when, like, I have, like, the mayor trying to inspire the civilians to not give up and die. Um, so, yeah, I love the variety in this one. It's it's uh, great. And and even though I will say, you know, it's a knock against the game for a lot of people that it has, like, five rule books and so many different ways to play. On the positive side of that, I can, come now that I know the game well, I can totally modify which version I play based on, like, my mood. If I want to teach my son, if I just want to have a quick game, I can play on the lowest level. And it's the easiest thing to run in the world. If I want to get really crunchy, you know, not as crunchy as Pendragon, but if I want to get pretty crunchy, I can go all the way up to like having science and, you know, the underworld track and all this crazy stuff. So I really appreciate the the like scope changing and the variety in the game and even the variety in the weight of the game. Just one of my absolute favorite games in general. And again, if you count it as a war game, my number two for this list. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great one. I actually remember... Um... When the, it's the third edition came out, I made a huge effort to pre-order it and make sure that I got my own pause on that one because I knew I was going to want it for a long time. And that's still true. Yeah, and this one, my copy was sent to me, I think free from like one of my friends on like Slack and Discord that I play games with pretty often. And he's like, hey, you can have this. Or maybe I paid him some money. I don't really remember. But either way, I think I think it was Nick. Thank you, Nick. For like my and it's hard to find. Like I think people are waiting for a fourth edition or a reprint, and I think it still hasn't happened. So yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that one of my favorite games of all time uh, came from from uh, a friend <laughs> that way. Yeah, that's so nice. All right, Liz, how about your number one? Okay, so if you listen to any of the solo top 100, top 200 podcasts, you know, you know, I love this game. It's freaking Thunderbolt Apache, Apache leader. leader. I was gonna I say love that game. It's so good. <laughs> No, you have to play like Daddio and Pirate and pretend that they go play volleyball between their missions. <laughs> but uh, no, so, okay. I Do I still sometimes refer to helicopters as planes? Yes. Do I have any actual knowledge of aerial combat in an actual wartime situation? No. Do I like to go pew pew with my little helicopters and planes on this particular game? Yes. <laughs> Thunderbolt Apache Leader is so fun. Um, you know, you have to think about like the height of your aircraft and like what you're going to choose to fly and what weapons you're going to put on there. And you have to assess this based on different missions that you need to complete in your little campaign. And between your missions, you have these like little log sheets, which doesn't sound fun, but it totally is because you get more points to allocate to your resources. Like, okay, am I going to repair this helicopter? Am I going to try to find this downed pilot? Am I going to send my experienced pilot out for the next mission, even though he's kind of getting frazzled or did I send somebody green who might not just get a job, but he can like take a little bit more mentally right now. And there's just so many fun little decisions. You get really attached to your pilots. Like even though they all look the exact same and they have like dad bods and <laughs> <laughs> like the art is really not. Yeah, the, the art is not the selling point for this game for sure. It does not matter. Um, the game is super fun and I recommend it to everyone because it's just one of those things where maybe you think that it wouldn't be for you, except I really think it's for it. I love it. Yeah, uh, for me, Thunderbolt didn't hit quite as well. It's like my top 20, I think, when I was making my list. Um, I, I slightly prefer for a game that is somewhat similar and also from Dan Versen, um, Field Commander Napoleon. It's not really the same game, but, you know, it's got the whole like mix of like campaign management combined with these like quick, fun 
uh, like little mini battles. And I like that one a little bit more than Thunderbolt. But Thunderbolt, I mean, you're, you're right. It is so much fun to, to just load up your ships, get all these awesome missiles. And then I, I always love the, uh, what are the ones you can fire separately? Like the, ra- the radar guided ones or like the, yeah, like I would just just dominate, you know, pop up with my helicopter hover mode. <laughs> just love everybody. <laughs> it, it is a ton of fun. There, there's no denying the visceral joy of that game. Yes. Or the extreme tragedy when everything goes wrong. Um <laughs> But I actually do now have Field Commander Napoleon and I need to, like, with everything, right? Can somebody just pay me to do games for a year so I can cover all this stuff? I know, I know. (laughs) All right. Uh, So my last one, uh, it is a war game according to BGG. That's my defense. And, I mean, (laughs) it's basically a coin game without the complexity of a coin game. Uh, it's one of my top games of all time. For Solo specifically, um, I actually don't get to play it competitive that often, although I, I think it's probably better competitive. And that is Root. Root. All right. Um, yeah, so, you know, if you just kind of pretend it's a coin game and sort of pretend that instead of cute uh, Kyle Farron drawn animals, you know, that these are like <laughs> the insurgent faction and the, uh, <laughs> you know, the counterinsurgency faction and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think if you squint, it, it works out that way. But uh, just getting down to the gameplay, uh, just like Coin, this is a game where I love running the AI. I, I played Root uh, with all bots several times and just enjoyed the story that kind of emerges from watching them butt heads against each other and like, what the, what's the cat army going to do this time? And what are the what are the you know the Irie birds going to do that time? And and as they added expansions, like you know that, that's one thing that um you know clearly the coin games do not have they're not like hey here are four more factions <laughs> we've added we've added space aliens to your falling skies let's see how caesar deals with them <laughs> but uh with root you get that you get like all these expansions and like new maps and uh but the great gameplay and the great variety in gameplays is still there and yeah i, I just love throwing this down solo picking one of these random factions picking a bunch of other like random opponents and just trying to thread the needle of how I can like area control this and how I can win these battles and what upgrades should I use. Uh, it's again, one of my favorite games of all time, war game or not. And uh, yeah, this is uh, just, I think a great one. Do you like root? root uh, I, I really do actually. Yeah. And um, I mean, to spend some more time with it, but I actually got the, uh, the app on steam. Ooh, I've heard that's great. I have not played it. I've not played it so far. It's really, really nice. And I was thinking like, oh, sometimes when I'm lazy or if I've got a game sitting on my table, like I should expand how I play because Root's supposed to be particularly good for that. But um, yeah, I've I have not played Root as much as you have, but the experiences that I've had with it have been super positive. It's way more accessible than it looks for the kind of game that it is. Um, the art is charming and it has a lot of that coin spirit in a more presentable first package mm-hmm. but it also holds up over time like mechanically it's not like oh this is intro friendly but it's only for newbies no 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 no. uh root is just good i just realized uh i i sort of have two cold world games on here root and yeah, you, you went heavy on the whirlies but the, the funny thing is he did not design the solo mode for either of them root no. was actually a fan created uh solo mode that i think is fantastic and in fact i i like the the continued efforts of that fan designer better than like what they officially published. And then uh, Pax Premier, as I already mentioned, was Ricky Royal. And, and the only time I played a Cole Whirly game that uh, <laughs> that he did the solo for, not a fan. Not, not oh, yeah, a fan. Oath? Yeah, Oath. Uh, oh, yeah. Oath. Did he play I need to oath? cover it. I need to cover it, but um, I kind of want to play it with a group before I say anything. 
Yeah, yeah, no, with a group, especially with, like, three or four, and if they're into kind of the, like, ongoing game nature of it, like playing multiples in a row and not getting too stressed out about who wins or loses one game, I think it's fantastic. Uh, for Solo... <sighs> yeah, so yeah. basically, I don't want to review it for Solo until I've had the multiplayer experience so yes. I can give it a fair shake. Does that make no, sense? I, I think that makes total sense. And and I think if you just play... Like, I, when I just played a solo, I was like, mm, this game. But then I did play a multiplayer a few times to, like, really kind of solidify my thoughts. And I think it was a good idea to do it. Uh, any yeah. honorable mentions you want to throw in, Liz, in case people say that you didn't have a War Games on your list and uh, just want to get a few other options out there? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, you actually caught a lot of the ones I would have with your less traditional list. I feel like our lists together are really nice. Um, let's see. If you're looking for more coins, I actually think Gandhi is worth mentioning because it's yeah. got that lovely card solo system and yes. uh, a peaceful faction. So it's super interesting to play. Two, so two, looking... two peaceful factions. Yes. So if you're, yeah. but basically, if you're looking for a coin flavor, it's like a little different or a game that's really kind of pushing what a war game could be. I think Gandhi's a good choice for that. Absolutely. Um, Hmm. I'll throw in Warfighter. That's a favorite of mine. Specifically, oh, yeah. uh, I like World War II Warfighter best out of the ones I've played. That's a great call. If you want something super, super light and intro to the point where nobody's going to call it a war game, I still love D-Day Dice. I'm not even going to lie. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Undaunted. I didn't love oh, the yeah. official solo mode they made, but that's a fabulous game, and they do have a solo mode for it. But yeah, I still I prefer my own solo mode. A little biased there, of course. And I prefer two-player <laughs> for that game, but it's yeah, a great game. Uh, Undaunted is so good. It's the only two-player game I've ever bothered to do a review for because it's just so good. Two-player. Uh, I need to cover the solo. Again, I just need to cover everything. But, like, it's uh, it's fine. Yeah. That's I, what I, 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 don't, I don't like some of the choices they made, but I think mine was too complicated, so they, they certainly improved on that. It's it's easier to play than mine is. Yeah, it's um, one of if you really must solo it, you can, but some things are not really meant for that. Yes. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> um... And then, you know, there's one other one I wanted to put on my list because it's one of my favorite games, but I was like, I can't think. I don't think anyone will give me any slack for this. <laughs> Cloudspire? War game? I mean, like, it's RVs in your battle. I mean, like, it's kind of war game-ish, right? Like, I know the fact that it's a MOBA, like, makes people think that's all it is, but I, I don't know. I, I think it has more war than some of the other ones we've talked about <laughs> today. I am willing to entertain that possibility. Also, if you want to try something that's, like, very unusual, um, that has, like, a cup chip pull system, uh, things that are in the Agricola Master of Britain oh, line yeah, yeah, yeah. from Holland Spiel are also very interesting. Like, Emma Bell Holland just makes really interesting games. She's, Absolutely. She's, she's a cool designer. Um, but Aurelian Master of the World, I think, is the one. I haven't played it, but it's supposed to be the best iteration, and it's about Aurelian, so I need to, I need to get on that. Yeah, I was going to say, the only one I've heard of is Agricola, so that's cool. Yeah, there's Agricola, there's Charlemagne, mm. and then um, now there's Aurelian. All right, so there we go. Five, ten, maybe war games. Did we have any? We didn't have any crossovers, did we? I just realized. No, and also I went really heavy ancient, but of course that makes sense. I'm a Latin teacher, and I'm also like in the throes of my teaching year. So, I mean, uh, Pendragon, I guess was the most ancient I went. Um, it's pretty ancient. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, so Liz, uh, one of our Discord members had brought up an interesting question. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. Why aren't there more cooperative, there's one-stop co-op shop, although we cover Solo too. why aren't there more cooperative war games? And uh, first of all, I was trying to think of what cooperative war games I have played or covered. Um, can you think of any, Liz? Oh, God. No, I can think of another honorable mention, though, for Solo, which is Conflict of Heroes. Just try it. Get the Solo expansion. My goodness. Yeah, and I I almost, that, that was on my short list, and also Company of Heroes, um... That, that one's hard to find, but I did get a review copy of it. Uh, that's a huge 
sprawling <laughs> implementation of the Company of Heroes video game. But that's a really nice one. Again, better for multiplayer than solo. The solo is fine. But I really like that one a lot, uh, just to have some of Heroes games mentioned there. All right, so back to co-op, though. Okay, I think one of the reasons this is less popular, though, is um, I think because people think of war as inherently very conflict-driven, and people like to think about it like, you know, what's the ultimate boiled-down war game? It's chess. I don't know. The only kind of cooperative war game I think of is something that's maybe a seminar game along the lines of, like, you could argue because of D&D's roots in wargaming that you can have kind of more role-play-ish war games in which you do cooperate but i don't i can't really think of any really strong i mean i'm thinking um most of the ones i know are defense based which i think is the most kind of smooth way to integrate them especially when it's already like a solo kind of base design like pavlov's house is technically two player one person does operational one does now i wouldn't play it that way dawn of the zeds is technically multiplayer i wouldn't necessarily prefer to play that i mean there's yeah, a lot of those I mean, where it's like hey actually, let's take us <laughs> sorry go ahead no i mentioned d-day dice like that's kind of the same thing right like yeah you could play it cooperatively but honestly why would i share my fun with others when i can just have a perfect <laughs> game myself okay <laughs> i mean but, um, so, some uh, good ones that i played recently that again like might not be as war gamey for everybody and but this seems to be the way it goes you know to find a good cooperative war game you got to go outside of the theme uh, first of all, Cloudspire, if you consider that a war game, I think co-op is my, my least favorite way to play it, but it still works well. Yeah. And then um, th- these you probably haven't played, Liz. They're more recent. Uh, D- the Defensive Pro Scion 3, um, that one you can play uh, two-player. And that that one's nice because in solo, you're just controlling two factions. So two-player just has one player control each faction. They do very different things and they have to support each other. So that actually works really well for two-player co-op. And uh, the other one is Uprising, which is a 4X uh, like war game that is strictly solo co-op for up to four players. There's uh, Uprising Curse of the Last Emperor, I think is the uh, subtitle. That's a really, really solid game too. Um, So it seems, oh, and then, uh, I mean, this is, again, more 4X than war game, but Voidfall, I think you could like argue at least has some war game sensibilities in there. That's yeah. the uh, upcoming uh, like Mind Clash one, but all yes, yeah, so th- th- those are like some of my favorite co-op war game e games, but none of them are historical. What? Why? why <laughs> it, it, do you think it's just like kind of a culture thing, Liz? Like in a philosophy thing? Like they're they're very competitive and also very. It might be a culture thing. Um, I also I think that um, because people sort of base war on history, and you're choosing historical conflicts, like. Well, first of all, there is an example that's coming up that will change this. You know, it kind of, I, I think people think of war as inherently oppositional. Yeah. I think solo wargaming is quite popular. Because the games are take eight hours and people just want to play them. There's <laughs> that. But, but I think it's also that it helps you kind of reenact historical situations that just feel a little mm. bit, you know, like you can do it yourself. And that means that you can play against somebody in savory or you can, you know, do things that are a little bit challenging. Um, so there's that. But I will say that I've talked to David Thompson and, you know, he's got a game coming up about the fifth platoon, which is integrated units in World War II. And one of his current proposals is to have that be a cooperative game. I mean, I'd love that. Um, And I also know that Liberation, I'm pretty sure Liberation Haiti 
is cooperative as well. Damon Stone's entry into the Zenobia oh, world. Okay, cool. So I will. I might also suggest that as we are moving, I, th- I think wargaming is evolving. So it had a very traditional way about it, and as things change, I expect we'll see different ways of looking at it, different models. Um, just because the field itself is starting to diversify, both in terms of like who's doing the games and who's playing them. And in terms of what people feel at liberty to, I mean, I'll be honest. As much as I'm arguing for more cooperative war games, I think probably I'll still play more of them solo or competitive. Because <laughs> like every single one I named, I, st- I think I still prefer solo or competitive, or it's at least easy to get to the table that way. Right. But yes, I, I-, I agree with you that it's evolving, and I hope it continues to do so. Because I-, I mean, I I love war games. I want more people to play them, and you know the fact that we have games like Shores of Tripoli that we can recommend to people. You know, oh, or yeah. Just like, yeah, like straightforward games or Undaunted or whatever. I, I love that as games have, because c- I don't know about you, Liz, but when I was playing war games back when I was younger, I was playing, uh, you know, like Squad Leader and Combat Commander and Europe Engulfed and Asia Engulfed and like, and uh, uh, Columbia, is that who it was? I'm not sure because, you know... I came to Wargaming relatively late. So oh, that's right, me, that's right, that's right. I've, we've talked about this before. Sorry. Yeah, this has been for me since what, like 2018? So longer now than before. But, <laughs> but you know, for me, my first encounters with war games were people being kind of freaked out by them. But because I love history, the attraction was there and I finally just went for it. And I'm really glad I did. But yeah, I mean, I get the impression that, quote, old school war games that people were playing in decades past those do not have a reputation for being friendly or easy to learn. Um, they kind of feel like the equivalent of the video games that you and I played when we were kids, like ex- the expectation that you'd be able to spend hours figuring it out and trying. Oh stuff. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I still love them. I mean, I, I, I played a lot of them solo because I couldn't play otherwise. And none of them had solo <laughs> things. Like I remember, uh, yeah. Okay. I was trying to look this up. Uh, Columbia games did a lot of the wooden, like hidden information, like block games. Oh yeah. Those were some of my favorites early on. Uh, I mean, early, like I'm talking about like 2000. So I'm not a grognard from way back. I, I was playing these games when I was like 18 and 19. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like hammer of the Scots was one of my first ones. That was 2002. That came out. And I love that game. That's like sort of Braveheart, the board game, except, you know, more historically accurate than Braveheart. <laughs> and yeah, but I, I would just play against myself and I was like, oh, hidden information. I'll just pretend I don't know who that is. Or I'll just pretend that I can. <laughs> um, if I were to go into this without knowledge of what you were planning, right, I right. might choose to. <laughs> or I just pick which side I like better. Usually the Scots uh, in this case. And I would of just course. have the British do terrible things and be like, oh, ha ha, long shanks. Look at you leaving your, your entire flag unexposed here. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so, and then, oh, no, I rolled a miss. Oh, whoops. Uh, look at that die. I'm going to re-roll that. Oh, now it's a hit. <laughs> so, yes, the, the joys of the joys of solo war gaming. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, the ultimate liberties that you could take as a solo gamer. Do whatever you want. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, for me, Wargaming, because all my gaming is so solo-centric, I don't think about co-op as much. But that said, I can now think of a couple of examples I've heard of for co-op, and I think there'll be more. I highly suspect there'll be more. When, and I I have to say it because, again, you're the one, Liz, who kind of opened my eyes to this simple truth. Back when we played uh, Final Girl at PAX, the first time we met in person. Oh, yeah, that was so good. Yeah, so just like the general, and now I've done this a ton with my family, like with my kids, the idea that, hey, it's a solo game, take turns being in charge, like take turns with who actually takes the turn for the solo, and discuss your choices, and any solo game pretty much can become a cooperative game if that floats your boat. 
Um, and I do that all the time. Like we were just, uh, I was just playing uh, with my son Isla and something shiny, which is like a narrative adventure game. Yeah. Totally solo. And we were just playing together. And I was like, hey, what do you think? And he's like, oh, no, let's do this. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. And, and we did it. You know, like I didn't have a character con- to control for myself or anything, but who who cares? Right. Well, um, I think that that's a, it's very much akin to watching a video game, like where somebody's piloting yes. and then the other person's watching. I actually don't think that solo gaming has to be that different. Like I wouldn't have four people looking at the same. Solo no, game, no, no, no. I, I think, yeah, very much two. Two is great. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, like I, I could totally see me and you sitting down and playing Marcus Aurelius and just discussing which cards we want to play and like having one of us be the leader each turn and it would work totally fine, you know? Yeah, we'd probably have a blast because we are ridiculous when we play games. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. In fact, yeah, uh, if we ever meet up again, you'll have to teach me. Uh, what was the one I said that I was most interested in that you mentioned? The deck builder. Oh, time of crisis. Yeah, time of crisis. Like you, you I and will... I sit down, bust out some time of crisis, have a good time. Yes, Joy. and we can either play against each other or it can be you and me against the bots. Exactly, exactly. All right, Liz, uh, thank you so much. I know, I know it's late for you, so we'll, we'll call it there. But always awesome to talk to you. And hopefully everyone listening, you found or uh, heard about some war games or war game-ish games that you're interested in. But uh, Liz, where can people check you out online? Where can they listen to your stuff and find you? I'm everywhere online as Beyond Solitaire. Um, If you want to see coverage of solo games, my YouTube channel, Beyond Solitaire, is the best place for that. I also do put my podcast there, and I have a podcast feed. I am very proud of my podcast, also called Beyond Solitaire, for brain consistency. Uh, But on my podcast, I actually talk a lot about uh, professional wargaming, gaming and academia, uh, gaming and culture. So basically, it's a way for me to explore larger topics than just solo gaming so those those are where you can get me yeah and i i can i cannot recommend liz's podcast enough it is one that i listen to in my commutes uh every week and brings on amazing guests talks about stuff a lot of it is war game related so if you're listening to this episode and you liked it <laughs> you might uh, enjoy that but also like uh, getting into the industry and the world and history and racism and uh prejudice and uh, just like amazing things Liz. so you, you do an awesome job and i know how much work it is for you to like track down all these guests and get them and schedule them and uh, record everything so uh well done well done now it's the best part it makes people willing to talk to me ha <laughs> 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 <Right>. ha <laughs> but all right everyone uh good gaming to all of you hope you're staying safe out there and uh we'll hear from you next week with some more podcast content happy gaming everybody bye Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.